the message from Connection Community Church for the week of March 21st, 2010. Return to Eden. Recovery. And so as we shared last week, we, uh, we get to the point as we travel east of Eden where we, where we cry out to God either in our pain or in our sorrow or in, in our loneliness or, or, or maybe just in the realization that we just can't do this thing by ourselves. And we cry out to God and God, God definitely hears our cries. And God has answered our cries in the person of Jesus Christ. See, because of Adam, we were traveling east of Eden. Thanks to Jesus, we can return to Eden. Because of Adam, we were, um, uh, paradise was lost. Thanks to Jesus, paradise is, is regained. Because of Adam, we had died. Uh, but thanks to Jesus, we are given new life. Well, good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are sinners saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, we thank you for today. It's a day that you made. It's a day that we rejoice in. Now open our hearts so that we might hear your word found in Scripture, that we might be changed and transformed by it, that we might leave a little bit differently than when we came in this morning. We give this time to you in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of Connection Church said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so when, when Cain was told that he would be wandering in, in the land of Nod, when he was told that he would be east of Eden, he thought it would be more than he could bear, and in fact, he shared that with the Lord. He was fearful that, that he would be hidden from the Lord. He was fearful that he would be attacked and killed by those who might find him. And as we spoke last week, though, we spoke of how God, in the midst of all that, God still claimed him. God, in fact, marked him, and through that marking, God protected him. Like Cain, even though we are east of Eden, even though we at times are really, really far from God, here's some really good news. We are still his. We are his. We are children of God. And so God still loves us and God still protects us. God claims us. God claims you. God claims me. So that even while we're still in that far, far place, God offers us Christ, offers us his very best. And so through him, through Jesus, we can come back. We can come back. We can come back home. We can return to Eden. And you know, when we're east of Eden and we cry out, the question is this, what is the nature of our cry? What are we crying for? Who are we crying for? What is it that we truly want? In Matthew chapter 20, we come upon two guys, a couple of guys who are crying out to Jesus. Now, these guys are lying on the side of the road, 
when Jesus and his boys, the disciples, they walk on by. Actually, Jesus and his disciples are leaving Jericho, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. Now, this is not going to be an easy trip, because what's going to happen after this is as Jesus enters Jerusalem, people will be waving those palm branches and saying, Hosanna, King of David in the highest, only to arrest him, beat him, and execute him. So that's, that's the story as Jesus is leaving Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. They meet two guys on the side of the road crying out. And so these two blind guys along the side of the road, they hear Jesus passing by and they shout. In fact, they shout very loudly, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And like we said last week when we were talking about the Psalms, It seems that most of the time when we cry out to the Lord, our cry involves mercy, a a cry for mercy from the Lord, and that's exactly what we get from these two guys. Can you say that with me? Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Then let's change it to have mercy on me. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Not a bad thing to say, is it? We are all in need of mercy. Have mercy on us, O oh God. And then the scripture tells us that, that the, the crowd there rebukes them. There's a good churchy word for you. How many have used rebuke in the last two weeks? Yeah, it's not, it's not one we usually have part of our rebuke, meaning to criticize or reprimand them sharply. Uh, they're telling them to be quiet, to say, shut up. That's not in your scripture. That's an Alanism, but that's what they're telling them. Shut up. You're making a nuisance of yourselves. You're embarrassing yourselves. I don't know if the crowd was embarrassed by the shouts. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. Maybe they were. Maybe they were embarrassed by these two guys. Maybe they thought the guys were disturbing Jesus. Maybe they weren't, maybe they weren't used to people drawing such attention to themselves. I don't know. Maybe those who told the two blind guys to be quiet, maybe they just didn't understand how much in need of a Savior these two blind guys were, having never been blind themselves, maybe they just didn't get it. Anyway, the more they tell the blind men to be quiet, the louder the blind guys get. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us, they continued to shout. So here's a question for for you and for me. What about us? If we're in need of a Savior, which we all are, if we're in the need of, need of a Savior, do you cry out? Do you cry out to the Lord? Do you shout out to the Lord? Or do you maybe listen to the status quo who just says, shh, shh, be quiet. Don't make a disturbance. It'll be okay. Don't cry out. Or do you shout it out all the more boldly, all the more loudly, not embarrassed, to reach and claim the name of Jesus, who's the Savior of the world. Well, the two blind guys weren't embarrassed, obviously, and they ignored the crowd, and they just shouted all the more loudly. And and then you know what happened? Here's what happened next. Jesus stopped, and he called to them. And a guy after last service stopped me and said, how did Jesus know, that, you know, to stop for these two guys? You know, I'm sure there's a lot of noise. A lot of, I'm thinking, well, maybe they were louder than everybody else. 
Or maybe Jesus, because he's Jesus, just knew that these two guys needed him to stop. Anyway, Jesus stops and he calls to them and he asks them a really important question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Mm. It wasn't too long before this that actually Jesus had asked the question to someone else, what is it that you want? He was responding to James and John's mother, Zebedee's wife, and Here's the scene. She was kneeling down to Jesus, and she had a favor to ask Jesus. She wanted her boys, Jimmy and Johnny, to sit. Do you like that, Kim? She wanted her boys, James and John. That's not in Scripture, is it, the Jimmy and Johnny? No, it's not. But anyway, one to sit at the right hand of Jesus and one to sit at the left hand of Jesus in glory, in heaven. It was a very selfish request on behalf of her boys, asking for them to have seats of honor next to Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus said that they didn't know what they were asking for, how high a price would be paid. In fact, the price would be their very lives. And besides, those seats of honors were not Jesus Christ to give, but they were given by the Father, his Father in heaven. And then, of course, when the other ten disciples heard this, uh, they were pretty upset. Uh, doesn't tell us why. <laughs> Maybe they figured they deserved the seats of honor. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. Anyway, at, at this point, though, Jesus points out something very important. He, he, he starts talking not about seats of honor in heaven, but he says, if you want to be great, The one uh, great among you will be the servant to the other guys. It's not about honor seats. It's about servanthood. In fact, he says, the one who wants to be first must be slave to the others. Now, this is getting pretty serious. You've got to be a slave to the others. Just as he himself, Jesus, came to serve, not to be served. And here he's kind of foreshadowing what's going to come and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. And so these blind guys on the side of the road, they are not requesting a seat of honor. They're not requesting that at all. In fact, when Jesus asks them what they want him to do for them, their request is very, very simple. They say, Lord, we want our sight. Lord, we want our sight. Funny thing is, Even though they were blind, they probably were able to see a whole lot better than a lot of the people around them, and this is what I mean. See, they were able to recognize Jesus as Lord. They had very clear sight in terms of that. They were able to see that Jesus was the Son of David, and they were able to recognize that it was Jesus who would be the one to have mercy on them. Uh, asking for their sight to me seems kind of a formality because they had very keen insight long before they gained their eyesight. Yeah. Well, here's what we're told happened next. Jesus had compassion on them 
and touched their eyes. Say the rest with me. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. They received their sight and followed him. I think it's an awesome story. I'm not just because of the faith of these blind guys, but that's awesome. And not just because of the healing power of Jesus, but that's really awesome. But, but the story also reminds us and brings home something that happened early on in Jesus' ministry. We find it in the book of Luke, just after Jesus has been out 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness, successfully standing up to the temptations of Satan. Here's what Luke tells us. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of, what? Sight for the blind, yes. To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Hmm. See, the prophet Isaiah prophesied this hundreds of years earlier. So when Jesus shares from the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. We find it in the 61st verse of Isaiah in our Bibles. Um, In the synagogue there that morning at the beginning of his ministry. And then he says, this is fulfilled. In other words, what, what the prophet had said hundreds of years ago, it's here, baby. I'm it. But the thing is, that it's, easy, it's one thing to say it. You with me? It's one thing to say it. But then when he goes along with the blind guys on the side of the road, he's living it out. He's living it out. It's, it's flesh right there on the street, face to face, close up and personal. In other words, he's not just talking the talk. He's walking the walk. Right there. Recovery of sight for the blind. That's our key word for this morning, recovery. Recovery. It is through Jesus that recovery is possible. It is only through Jesus that recovery is possible. Recovery for sight of the blind. Now, in a literal sense, we see that in the scripture that we were just referring to with the two blind guys on the side of the road. But it's also figurative. Aren't each and every one of us blind in some ways? Aren't each and every one of us blind when we find ourselves drifting from God, when we find ourselves traveling to that place east of Eden? Aren't we blind? Don't we lose our eyesight? Or don't we have eye strain when we kind of forget and we travel and we wander away and then we become little gods in our own little kingdom? We have this this eye strain and we just forget 
we forget. And it's all a result of being sons and daughters of Adam. And that recovery, the recovery of not only our sight, but the recovery of being able to get back to that paradise is only possible through the one who was anointed to do just that, recover our lives. And as we see in that Isaiah scripture, he's anointed to do more than just that. He's anointed to preach the good news to the poor. And isn't it true that, that the soul of each and every one of us is in poverty when we're traveling east of Eden? Can I get an amen on that? And the one who was sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and aren't each and every one of us prisoners of sin when we are far from God? Amen? Amen. The one who was sent to the police, the oppressed, oppressed by Satan, oppressed by our own selfish ambitions, oppressed by our desire to place ourselves at the center of the universe rather than placing God at the center of our universe. The one who was sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Another year, word for this is the year of jubilee. We sang about it there in the, in the days of Elijah, the year of jubilee. See, if we read in the Old Testament, if you go back to Deuteronomy, Every seven years, seven's like the, the perfect number. Every seven years, you know, we take a Sabbath every sixth and seventh day, right? Every seventh year was like a monster Sabbath. You would leave the ground fallow. Debts were, um, uh, uh, your, your debts were covered. They were Heaven. released, yeah. so to speak. Slaves were set free. I mean, seventh year was, that's a big year. How many of you would like a seventh year this year? <laughs> yeah, I'm listening, I'm hearing it. Well, the year of Jubilee is even better because it's the perfect seven times seven. Sometimes 749, it's the year after, the 50th year. Now, all those other things take place. So, actually, you have two years of letting the earth life out. You better be faithful and believe God's going to cover you because you don't have any crops coming in for two years in that year of Jubilee. But here's the extra bonus. The year of Jubilee, all the property goes back to its original owner. All things revert back to the original family. You go, whoa, that's a deal. In other words, the property wasn't sold. It was merely le- it was a 49-year lease, wasn't it? That's not so strange. Some places around here, there's, there's leases. Like Lewis, it's a, you lease land for 99 years in Lewis, Delaware. So they had it for 49 years. Everything reverted back. In other words, everything's going back to the way it was. And so the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, in Jesus, in Christ, everything goes back to the way it was. In other words, we're able to return to Eden in Christ and what he brings. Wow. In Christ, everything is made right. Recovery. Recovery of sight to the blind recovery of the Eden that we lost a long, long time ago. And that recovery is only possible. It's only possible because God sent his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? 
eternal life, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's good news, and that's available to you, and that's available to me. Wow. We are able to recover, able to return to Eden because of the one, capital O-N-E, who gives sight to the blind along the road. And so here's a very important question for you this morning. When you cry out to Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, maybe that's the word you use. Maybe you use something different. Maybe you just say Jesus, whatever. But when you cry out to the Lord, and then Jesus asks you this question, what do you want me to do for you? What's your answer going to be? I remember we were out in California a few years ago at a seminar, and and a woman was leading this one uh, little subgroup there, and we were in it. And she said, you know, if you came face to face, if Jesus came to you today and said, what do you want from me? What would you say? And what did you say, Carrie? Well, I, I have to admit that that question, which I thought would have been pretty simple, hit me square in the face because I really didn't know how to answer it. If Jesus said to me in that moment, Carrie, what do you want me to do for you? I didn't know. I did not know how to answer it. And you see, at that point, I had wandered, and I was a little bit east of Eden, and I was in this far place. And what I did was, I mean, I was pretty upset because I couldn't answer it. So I went outside, you know, it's in California, so that's what you do. And I thought I'd lay in the sunshine and just kind of think and pray about this whole question. And I fell asleep, and I didn't mean to. And when I woke up, the class was already in session. But what I realized, I knew the answer to the question. And the answer for me that day was rest and replenishment. Because when you're east of Eden, you get really weary. You get bone-weary. Have you ever been bone-weary? Yeah, that's where I was. And so I cried out to the Lord at that point, you know, rest and replenishment. And the Lord heard my cry and answered. And over time, I made my journey back to Eden. So when Jesus says to you, what do you want me to do for you? What will you say? Lord, please make it that seventh year and and relieve all my debt. (laughs) In other words, money? Is that what you would like Jesus to do? How about some power? Would you like some power from Jesus? Maybe you need a a friend or two. Maybe it's friendship. Maybe it's love. Who knows? I mean, there's a wide range of answers that we could give, isn't there? Jesus, I would like... The thing we got to remember is this. <laughs> Jesus isn't our little genie. You know, we don't rub the lamp, and Jesus' genie jumps out and says, I give you three, three wishes, Master. Sometimes that's how we act, though. Jesus, this is what I want you to do for me. But it's not a Jesus genie coming out of the lamp. It's Jesus the Savior. And keep in mind, Jesus the Savior, here's one thing to never forget. Jesus the Savior is dying to love you. 
Actually, Jesus the Savior died because he loves you. And, and, and then the question is this, what recovery needs to take place in your life so that you can fully receive the love that Jesus has to give you? What recovery needs to take place in your life so that you can fully enjoy, receive, appreciate, bask in, celebrate the love that Jesus is dying to give you? So as we, um, as we close the service today, we have some, some time, an opportunity to, um, to cry out, to talk to the Lord. And if the Lord asked you that question, what can I do for you, what would be your answer? And would you, like, be silent and, and not say a word and feel the pressure of the crowd so to speak, to just do it your own way, to rely on yourself? Or do you come before the Lord and lay your sorrows, trade your sorrows? Because yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord wants to just dump you with so much love. Remember, he's dying to love you. He died to love you. And so as we conclude our service today with our final worship song. We encourage you to stand up and sing if you want. Sit down, pray from your seats, come up to the steps, have prayer with the Lord. He loves it when we're on our knees. Go back to that prayer area where there are those who are ready to lift up your requests. This is your time. God is with us, God is with you, and that is, oh, such good news. Amen? Let's pray. God, it it overwhelms us how much you loved us. You loved us so much that you gave your very best. You sent your son, Jesus, to pierce the darkness, to pierce our, our dark world and And show us the light, the light of your love, the light of your grace. We thank you for loving us that much and for your son Jesus who died so that we might live, so that we might experience freedom, so that we might be free from oppression, whatever way that looks, so that we might live a life of recovery. And so we thank you and we praise you today that you are with us. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, the Savior of the world, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of Connection Church said, amen. Thank you for taking part in sharing the message for this week. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also reach our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers.